Well, good evening. I'm Rick Dancer. Welcome to Get Real with Rick Dancer, coming to you live from Livingston, Montana. <laughs> Where's that? Well, it's in Montana. It's about 20 miles east of um, Bozeman, Montana. And Kathy and I are living in a little Airbnb while we look for a house. Um, this is my office now um, where I work. It was minus three here today, um, but sunny and beautiful. Um, it is really cold, but people still go out and do things because after all, you're in Montana. So what are you going to do? Sit in the house all day? Kathy and I found a new gym. Okay, so I got a really funny story for you. So we're in the gym and we're doing it and, and there's you know seven or eight people in this spin class that we're doing and um, we're talking and I said my name and stuff like that. And then we start talking about what I do and this one lady sitting behind me and she goes, wait a minute are you Rick Dancer from Springfield, Oregon? And I'm like, yeah. She goes, my mother-in-law lives in Oregon and she follows you and she's always telling us we should go watch your show and see what you're doing. In Livingston, Montana, <laughs> our reach is growing, folks. Um, but isn't that funny? So she took a picture of me on the bike to show her mother-in-law that uh, she was spinning with Rick Dancer today. It was kind of a fun thing. Um, I want to show you what we woke up to this morning, okay? This is what happens in Montana. I didn't know this. Um, we're, we're looking, we're laying in bed, and all of a sudden right next to the house, it's just a driveway, we see this these lights, these headlights. Well, it's this guy. <laughs> He's paid by the motor. And he even does the stairway. He looks like Santa. You're awesome. Morning. Are you Santa? <laughs> I guess so, yeah. Was, I, thank you. Do they just pay you to do this like the whole town, or what do you do? Yeah, I think it might. I do this for this lady here. Oh, okay. That's yeah. really nice of you. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, thank you. So that's what he does. And so I'm going to show you a couple pictures. Kathy and I were downtown grab some coffee this afternoon. And this is Livingston, Montana. Isn't that beautiful? That's the main street. Right there, that big mountain. That's Livingston Peak. And those are the important mountains. And that looks familiar because I have that tattooed on my arm. That's one picture. Now, here's another one. This is another little section of downtown Livingston, Montana. And you guys know how crazy Kathy and I are about going to the movies. Well, guess what? They even have a movie theater. Now we hear the seats are really cramped, not like it's been hard back home. And there's the post office. And as you can see outside, it was an absolutely beautiful day um so what else was i going to tell you i had a couple other things that gym video the lady at the gym the snowman no i got everybody in so we want to thank our sponsors today um one of those sponsors is mercury metal design and fabrication it's the people oh there they are friendly guys they make the coolest things if you need anything made out of metal they do high-tech stuff for all over the world this is right in eugene oregon they will make anything that you need. They can help you design it, then they fabricate it, and then they make it for you so you have it. But there's uh, one of our sponsors. They love what we do. They love not always everything we talk about, just what they believe in. Freedom of speech. 
and speaking your mind and being able to have a second voice. And that's what we are all about here at Get Real with Green Panther. And our other sponsor is Chris Dennell, uh, Dr. Michael Bratland. Um, and when our, I'm going to bring our first guest on. Bill's going to be at the end today. Um, we have a special guest, and I want to talk about this topic uh, because it has to do with Governor Brown. And I just love to rub that in a little bit. So anyway, I don't hate the woman. People come out of there. You just hate her because she beat you at the Secretary of State. <laughs> no, I am so glad I didn't win that race. She got the race. I think she's a sucky governor, but that doesn't mean that um, that I, I, I'm jealous of her or anything. So let's get her open from Chris Dental Family Dentistry, where everyone is welcome. No matter what your back status is, you're welcome there. <laughs> Who puts up with this? That's what I don't understand. Bring the lion out. Bring the, bring the lion. Um, tonight on our show, we're going to have... Hey guys, don't you think it's kind of fun that you get to comment on the news? There's a cost. Oh yeah, there's a cost. People come after you. Like, I think that's why this is so much fun is because... We'll see you at five. And just so you guys know... Um... I have to get that off here. There we go. That's the way you do it. Um, the music that was on there, Unknown Adam, uh, he's one of our viewers. And he creates music. And he said, I got a theme song for you. So he put a theme song together for me. <laughs> I love people. They're so amazing. So many cool things happen. So now's our special guest. This is Monique Despain. Despain. Um, she works with Kevin Mannix. Uh, Kevin is an attorney in Oregon, but he's run for governor. He's, uh, I think, isn't he running for state representative or something right yes, now, too? Mm -hmm. Just a and, um, but Monique is the behind-the-scenes research person um, who does, basically <laughs> does most of Kevin's work. I'm kidding. <laughs> but you probably do. You do a lot of work with him. And so tonight we're going to talk a little bit about, whoa, that's my phone, sorry. Got to turn that off. We're going to talk about um, Governor Brown and these the clemency. So you guys are the 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 the, uh, the law firm that filed the lawsuit for two district attorneys and a couple of families in town. One of the district attorneys is Lane County's district attorney, uh, Patty Perlow. Tell people the, the problem, Monique. Just go through it. There's no sense in me sitting here and trying to summarize it. You know this stuff like the back of your hand. Well, probably everyone in Oregon knows by now that Governor Brown has been releasing batches and batches of cr convicted criminals uh, early from prison, some of them several years before they've completed their duly secured uh, sentences. And so um, the district attorneys are officers of the state, um, the public safety officers, and they have, um, it is appropriate for them to raise this attention to the courts, along with the victim, uh, surviving victims of some terrible, uh, all of them are surviving victims of um, loved ones who were murdered. Um, so- we, We've it, had some of them on our show, um, Brian Akers, uh, where yes. they was murdered. Yes. And there's then, so many, so many hundreds of people, thousands are being affected and communities are being affected by these early releases of felons. Um, so what we filed was what we, what's called a writ of mandamus, a request where the court will issue a writ that stops the, the misconduct or the unlawful behavior of these state officials, the governor, Department of Corrections, Director Peters, Department of Corrections, the Oregon Youth Authority, and the Oregon Board of Parole and Post-Prison Supervision. 
they've all they're all part of the process really the agencies um are are uh, following the instructions of kate brown to release felons um, outside of the clemency laws and we were talking earlier clemency is sort of a catch-all is the catch-all for pardons and commutations a commutation is a shortening of a sentence and and uh governor brown has been shortening the sentences of over a thousand felons that have already been released and a thousand and, and you said when we, you and i were talking prior to the show that prior to that um she barely released anyone barely did anything literally one year there were no reductions no commutations and i was explaining to you that most of the pardons were uh where the the felon had completed their sentence and they were out in the community and they were able to demonstrate that they had uh they had lived their lives as law-abiding citizens for several years and so the pardon was just to remove that felon um, conviction felony conviction from their record um so very few of those no reductions in sentences maybe uh one year there were maybe five very few and then in 2020 bam she just went crazy with it um the first excuse um and i suppose maybe nobody would have paid attention if she had stopped at the covid releases right. so she asked so one of our arguments is that she's violated the law by delegating her clemency power to somebody else so explain, explain how that works. So the governor is supposed to issue these person by person and make the decision one at a time. It's We're an extraordinary power that's rarely used. Imagine all the resources that have gone into convicting, trying and convicting and placing someone in prison. It's not, you know, they've had their opportunity to be heard. They've had defense attorneys. They've been prosecuted and they're in prison. So. The act of clemency is derived from the king's power in England. I mean, imagine some beleaguered person <laughs> throwing themselves down before the king and begging for mercy. All right. Well, all the our U.S. president and the governors have clemency powers. Um, so the governor in Oregon has that power, um, and it should be triggered by the inmate asking for forgiveness and showing remorse and showing rehabilitation and demonstrating also that 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 somehow the sentence was unfair actually you know they're supposed to exhaust all other remedies if they say they're innocent you know they need to go through the appeals that there's all sorts of avenues if they think that the, the conviction is wrong but this is after they've been duly convicted and they're serving their sentence and um, if they can demonstrate some extraordinary cir circumstance to the governor that they should be released early, then then it would be very close. The governor herself would look, all of our governors will look at that. They'll talk to the felon. They'll consider the input of the victims. They'll consider the entire criminal file. They'll uh, listen to the input of the victims. There even the statute even requires they look at the pictures of the victims. Look at the bloody murder scene. None of that is happening now. But no. anyhow, that should be very independent, case by case, by the governor. So she's supposed to do this each case by case, and, and they come to her. She issues this clemency, or that she, she applies. Says, 
She applies. And, she even has an application in her office that that you can get, that an inmate can get that application and, and they're instructed on what kind of things they should be talking about. They're told that it's very rare and um, and here are the kinds of things that would ben that you might want to present to the governor for her consideration. And so so she's finding the, the, the criminals to let out. Um, and then she's putting this a blanket thing and handing over the power really to the parole board. And this could go on long after yeah. she is gone from right. serving. So her her curse continues to plague Oregon for the through the next administration and probably the one after that. She's very much into the power and she wants to extend it yeah, beyond Kate, her office. Have you noticed that, Monique? I the have. Queen Kate is yeah, yeah. is kind of into it's the power. She doesn't want to apply any of this privileged power to the protection of our citizenry to consider the victims. I was thinking how, you know, just to experience the murder of a loved one or right. these violent crimes that in itself is practically inconceivable. Right. But imagine then that the your government representatives are not on your side on that. Right. I mean, right. You're just well, don't, even ask, don't even ask your opinion. No, no opinion, no concern for the pain, the just the you know, tearing the scab off over and up. But to be told, like, I mean, our victim uh clients, the surviving victims, I mean, um they're 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 perpetrators. The proposed reduction in sentence is significant, 10 yeah. years off. Yeah. And and you'll hear in the media from the other side oh well what about forgiveness and what about a chance a second chance well none of these all have uh these life sentences is a minimum 25 years yeah a minimum 25 years but but kate brown thinks that that's too long and she'd like it to be shorter so she'd like them to have an opportunity to persuade the parole board at 15 years so that's cutting and then like you said by delegating that um, decision to have the parole board, which has no jurisdiction over these um, these individuals, right. uh, they lost jurisdiction. There's a there's a law uh, passed in November '89 that anyone sentenced after that actually is not within the jurisdiction of the parole board. So she's delegating. You can't num number one. You cannot delegate that power. Number two, if you could to the parole board, that's it, the law um, prohibits it. And then number three, this this amazing little trick she's trying to pull where she pushes her clemency power into the terms of future governors. Um, Carmen is writing on her. Kate Brown also made it illegal to post mug shots of arrested individuals. Uh, we have a site in Eugene on Facebook called uh, Lake, uh, Lake County Mug Shots. I can't remember. One of the most popular sites in the whole county. Now they can't do it anymore because you can't put a mug shot out there. Right. Um, so, I mean, Kate was a, she went to law school. I know people who went to law school with her. I mean, she wasn't yeah. the greatest in their class, but she, she knows them. I mean, she, there's I, no indication. Knows, there's, you can't <laughs> there's no indication that she went to law school, but, um, or her advisors. Um, I, I don't know what they're thinking. The law is very clear that there's a process and, District attorneys, first of all, that an, that a that a, con, a convicted felon needs to apply. I mean, really, like self recognition that you're ready to be considered uh, would be the critical first step. And then the DAs who have 
applied all the resources and efforts to prosecuting that person should have a voice. They're required by law to. And then the district attorney is empowered to reach out to the victims and notify. It's all laid out in the statutes. So Connie says on here, it's about not about forgiveness. It's about public safety. And I, I agree with you, Connie. But I think it's about one more thing. It's about the, the word that Kate and all of her fans love to throw out there. It's about justice. This is well, an injustice to people yeah. who were told that this was going to be the sentence. And that is injustice. And it doesn't matter what color you are or what diversity you are. Injustice is injustice. And when you take criminal yeah. victims and do this to them, mm -hmm. that's the very meaning of the word injustice. Yeah. And shame. Well, it undermines our criminal justice system. And we are a nation uh, that adheres to the rule of law. It's about the rule of law. It, it, this isn't about forgiveness. It's true. Whoever said that it's the rule of law. The governor is not a lawmaker. She there's a process for changing the law. And that's the route that should be taken. So this clemency of power that she has is being abused. And uh, like we were saying, up until 2020, it was used appropriately. So we do know that she knows how to use it. She's talked about how she understands it's a very limited, extraordinary uh, circumstance in, in which she would grant clemency. And then um, <clears throat> she's, uh, like I said, surrounding herself with advisors that have an agenda that would like to just reform our criminal justice system. And she's decided to do it as she's on the home stretch here. So it was a thousand under COVID. Then it was uh, the firefighters. We talked about that. Um, and then now it is this very serious batch of people who were convicted of crimes they committed as juveniles. And then we talked uh, earlier about Senate Bill 1008, which did uh, did soften Measure 11 for those convicted of, as juveniles. And, it, um, and it, wasn't, it wasn't grandfathered in. No, it was specifically discussed with the legislature, the lawmakers that passed this law, promised it would not be retroactive. And Kate Brown lays that whole thing out in her um, September 28th letter to she the department. It, Pardon? It says it in the letter that. She says that she thinks it's unfair, it disparately impacts. There's no one-on-one -on -one consideration of the cases. She just says anyone who was sentenced before that new law in uh, January 1st of 2020, anyone who was sentenced before that, um, I want to grant them clemency using the same criteria as the law, because I don't think it's fair that the law didn't apply to them. But, but, but Monique, here's what drives me crazy. Who gives a shit what she thinks? She's the governor, but she's not the people of Oregon. And I'm already irritated with the legislature for going in and dinking around with Measure 11, which people put out there. So they wonder why people get so frustrated and feel so voiceless when when. The, the people vote. They keep telling us we need fair voting. You need to vote more. Vote, 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 vote. So right. we do. And then you go in and wrangle it around and make it what you wanted anyway. Not you, but them. And now she's doing it as governor. I think people in Oregon should be outraged by this. Well, I think we've brought a lot of attention to this particular misconduct. There's so many, right? You have to pick one. <laughs> so this one uh, is very near and dear, of course, to Kevin Mannix, because he was the, the author of Measure 11. I mean, Measure 11 worked. You can see how the crime dropped. Just it's like a direct correlation. You put 
violent criminals away and miraculously the number of violent crimes drops so yeah and when you when you get when you stop defund police um how who would ever think that crime would increase and now we're back to refunding the police because mm -hmm. i guess that one didn't work very well right well, so they, our, they, our, our legal oh. action is really pretty simple it's just here's the law it's it, it's simple it needs to be followed and we're hoping that the uh, court will will stop the unlawful processing of these felons all right Monique Despain, thank you so much for joining thank us. You. Tell Kevin I said hello. I will. Thanks. All for right. Thank me. you. So um, I hope that makes you guys angry. Um, you should be up in arms about that. And uh, the governor has until the 18th of February to file an answer, and then we'll watch this thing go through. We'll keep you uh, in tune with, we'll have Kevin and or Monique on again and talk more about what happens when we get a decision and all that kind of stuff as well. Um, this is what you can do in your state. You really can do this kind of thing. Um, it, it, it is about we, the people remember that. And, um, I'm going to now toss it off to bill. Let's find out some other things that can irritate us tonight. <laughs> That's what Bill's going to do. Here we go. Good evening from the news radio, 1120 AM, 93.7 FM KPNW studios. I'm Bill London. And tonight we will try to answer the simple question. Do native Montanans feel the same way about Oregonians that native Oregonians feel about Californians? Probably. All right, here's a look at some of the stories we're following. Well, this is a blockbuster study. It was a Johns Hopkins study that has been released and it says, and I'm quoting them, ill-founded lockdowns did little to limit COVID deaths. Uh, that's pretty direct. The researchers say lockdowns had no noticeable effect on COVID mortality and had a, in their words, devastating effect on economies and social ills. Now, keep in mind that John Hopkins has been pretty much the gold standard for reporting on COVID numbers, COVID mortalities and the like. As a matter of fact, most of major media has used John Hopkins as the go-to for information about COVID-19. The study is called A Literature Review and Meta-Analysis of the Effects of Lockdowns on COVID-19 Mortality. And it says lockdowns in Europe and the U.S. reduced COVID-19 deaths by 0.2%. They said that shelter-in-place orders were also ineffective, reducing COVID mortality by only 2.9%. The study said, quote, we find no evidence that lockdowns, school closures, border closures, and limiting gatherings had a noticeable effect on COVID-19 mortality. The researchers wrote in the report issued Monday. The study concluded that lockdowns are, quote, and are ill-founded and should be rejected as a pandemic policy instrument. They have contributed to reducing economic activity, raising unemployment, reducing schooling, causing political unrest, contributing to domestic violence and undermining liberal democracy. 
The study was written by Jonas Herbie, Lars Jonung, and Steve Hankey of the John Hopkins Institute for Applied Economics, Global Health, and the Study of Business Enterprise. The review argued that border closures had virtually zero effect on COVID mortality, reducing deaths by 0.1%. They did say, however, closing non-essential shops was likely the most effective intervention, leading to a 10.6% drop in virus fatalities. Their report said that this was probably due to shuttering pubs and restaurants where alcohol is consumed. School closures were linked to a smaller decrease, 4.4%. The researchers who deal in the field of economics originally identified 18,590 global studies into lockdowns, which they claim had to be whittled down to 24 to answer the research questions. But the costs of these draconian measures weren't minimal at all. They devastated the economy, pummeled the working class, fueled a youth mental health crisis, and led to record-breaking drug overdoses, worsened a crime wave, delayed life-saving medical treatments, and so much more, according to the report. And this report, by the way, does not tell the full story. And that is the story of children who spent a year or more in remote learning. That story and that question has been answered by the United Nations and confirmed by the World Bank. They both claim the missed learning will cost kids around the globe over $17 trillion in lost earnings during their lifetime globally. So how much is $17 trillion? That's 14% of the total global gross domestic product. 1.6 billion kids around the world have essentially had their pockets picked. So do you think that if someone publicly said at one point that lockdowns were useless, that kids were being harmed far more than helped by lockdowns, that those individuals saying that would have been canceled? Would they have been reviled by the legacy media as crackpots? Would they have gotten a pants on fire from so-called fact check? I'm going to boil this story down really to a pretty simple sentence. As adults, we were screwed. And as for our kids, they were victims of child abuse at the hands of bureaucrats. Remember how on December 17th, Governor Kate Brown was pushing Oregonians to get booster shots for COVID? The rah-rah goal was 1 million booster shots by February 1st. And how did that work out for the governor who actively lobbied Oregonians that they needed to get a booster? Well, 504,000 people listened to her. Not really close. Okay, so let's talk about your legislature. We're into day two of the 35-day session, and we have talked before about a number of the bills that are going to be decided on, some of which may actually make it out of committee if they were sponsored by Democrats, and others that won't, namely the ones that have anything with an R as a sponsor. So... We've told you that uh, they've been discussing economic recovery and pumping your own gas. Well, now 
One of the bills they're looking at is discussing whether student athletes could get royalty payments if their name, image, or likeness is used on intercollegiate sports team jerseys, video games, or trading cards for profit. The chief sponsor of Senate Bill 1505 is Peter Courtney, the retiring Senate president. And he says college athletics is a billion-dollar industry. The bill has a public work session scheduled for tomorrow. The Senate Education Committee on Education. I like that, an Education Committee on Education, as opposed to an Education Committee on Leisure Time Activities. They held a Senate bill hearing for 1521. That establishes job protections for school district superintendents. The measure was proposed because a number of superintendents in Oregon were fired in 2021 before the end of their contract, like Newburgh Superintendent Dr. Joe Morlock. According to Coquille School District Superintendent Tim Sweeney, in some communities, our superintendents and school boards are facing a backlash that is unlike anything experienced before. He says politics have distracted leaders from centering on the needs of their students. If this gets passed, school boards would be able to fire a superintendent without cause only if a number of very high bar conditions are met. Now, think about this for a second. School boards answer directly to their communities. If their communities elect a school board and that school board, which is directly answerable to the electorate, doesn't do what they say, well, what then? Isn't that why school boards are there to fulfill the will of the people that elected them and put them there? And if they believe the superintendent needs to go, shouldn't they have the ability without going through a bunch of bureaucratic hoops to actually be able to relieve that superintendent of their duties? Just a thought. So Oregon's governor, under another bill, would have the power to appoint a U.S. Senator if the position becomes vacant in the middle of a term under legislation now being considered in Salem. Right now, if a U.S. Senator decides they're going to quit in the middle of their term or potentially they die, the state holds a special election. Democratic Representative Barbara Smith Warner from Portland, who chairs the House Rules Committee, has sponsored a bill saying that it would make the process the same as when statewide offices become vacant. She says the governor appoints a replacement of the same party, and then there's an election at the next general election. The idea saves you from having a special election. Republicans on the Rules Committee signaled their opposition to it, asking a very simple question. Why are we doing this now? Well, Smith Warner didn't elaborate, only saying it was proposed to me and would not say who made the suggestion. The legislation has now been submitted. Neither of Oregon's two U.S. Senators, Jeff Merkley and Ron Wyden, both Democrats, have publicly given any indication of resigning their seats midterm. But the reason that they would want to do that is obvious because somebody would be appointed by the governor, likely from the same party, and then that person would be an incumbent and would have two years to start gathering money so that they could be elected outright by will of the people, giving them quite a head start. Oh, I'm going to finish with this. 
So the results of an independent poll released by Portland-based polling firm DHM Research provided an early look as to how voters may view former state senator Betsy Johnson, she was a Democrat, who gave up her party affiliation to run as unaffiliated. So DHM asked voters a number of questions about Johnson, who resigned her seat in December after 20 years of serving. A question was made about a race among a generic Democrat, a generic Republican, and Johnson. And in that, it showed her well behind, with the Democrat 31%, the Republican 22%, 11% in favor of Johnson, 36% were undecided. So then DHM asked another question, but it added more information taking from Johnson's campaign site the way that she describes herself. And the results changed. Johnson says she's a no-nonsense independent leader and that she is loyal only to the people of Oregon. And they further said she thinks Oregonians deserve better than the excesses in nonsense of the extreme left and radical right. Well, that message changed the responses pretty significantly. All of a sudden, Johnson got 30% of the hypothetical vote, the generic Democrat 24% and the generic Republican 17%, 30% were undecided. Then DHM provided voters with factual but less flattering information. For instance, in that case, Johnson's average shrunk. They said in the state legislature, Betsy Johnson was considered a centrist. And they said she often voted with Democrats on social issues and is pro-choice on abortion. On environmental and economic issues, she often voted with Republicans. Well, that kind of changed things. At that point, the generic Democrat got 29%, the generic Republican 22%, Johnson pulled in 21%, and 29% were undecided. Her number shrank even further when voters were presented with language linking her to corporate donors. DHM pollster John Horvick says voters quickly revert to party affiliation when they're actually given information about candidate. But Horvick says overall, the numbers show Johnson has a chance. All right, with that, we'll let Rick answer our hypothetical question that we started with. I will see you tomorrow morning, tomorrow from 6 a.m. to 9 on the Wake Up Call here on KPNW, which you can stream at kpnw.com. And now Rick open up a big old industrial can of viscous real. I love that guy. <clears throat> There's nowhere else you're going to hear <clears throat> straight up truth like that, but Bill. So today's Groundhog's Day, um, or Groundhog Day. Um, this is what I'm going to talk about. It's not the shadow, um, but change. You know, we all have to find our way <clears throat> to change. And my hope for Oregon is that you, the voters of Oregon, will change, will not keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. <clears throat> as Republicans, you won't just vote for a Republican. As Democrats, you won't just vote for a Democrat. As you actually look into the candidates, because we've been doing this now for decades, and it isn't working. We don't have leaders that look like the people of Oregon. What we have is leaders that look like the party, the unions, and the corporations that get them elected. So if you want change, you have to get involved. We have an apathetic state, a state that's been uh, deluged in apathy. Um, just people don't even care anymore. People in Eastern Oregon, I'm not blaming them, but I was talking, tomorrow night we're going to have Lake County uh, Commissioner on our show, because Lake County is pushing heavily this idea of a greater Idaho. 
Why? Because they want to leave Oregon? No. But what they're tired of is Portland, Multnomah County, Clackamas County, and Washington County running the entire state, and they have no voice. And when you take the voice away from people for 30 or 40 years, they start getting really pissed, and they want to do something about it. So they're hoping there's a huge change in Salem, but they're not buying it. That's going to happen. So the side that the answer Z is, <clears throat> let's get the hell out of Oregon. Let's take Oregon and make it part of Idaho. Um, and that's not the only county that's leaning that direction. There's like 14 of them. But Lake County is taking a special initiative. We're going to talk with them about that tomorrow. Also tomorrow, um, Derek, oh, no, no, no. What else we got on here? Oh, we're going to talk with a school district called uh, uh, Natural Discovery School. And this is a, a private school, but they're going to be doing something really innovative. They've been getting calls off the hook uh, for people trying to find out more about it. But they're going to explain what this is. And it's a way to get around the system that we have right now. Uh, so that's tomorrow night. But you have to be involved. And for me, I had to move. And I'll tell you what, I'm finding so much peace being gone and still being involved in Oregon. But I don't have to be there. Um, for some of you, you're called to stay there, but you have to participate in this thing and get involved. Um, you can share this on your page, let other people know, and um, you know that this is where the rubber hits the road. And so you got to act and you got to do something. Um, man, I think you know. I think I care more about Oregon now that I'm not there than I did when I was there. Now, I'm a Montana now, but I have deep inside of me that Oregon blood, and I think you can do this. I, and I want to help you. I think we can do this, but it's going to take everybody. And you can't be a wuss and let people call you names and be a big crybaby. And go, well, this is, and you have to stop saying the same old thing. This is what always, this is what's going to happen. They're going to do this. No. What if you change your story? What if you make a new story about Oregon? When the, the, the year that the people took over and the Browns and the legislature that is inactive and doing nothing, um, except running Oregon and walking all over you, um, they got told on. <laughs> the voters said, uh-uh, no more. All right, I'm Rick Dancer. This is Get Real with Rick Dancer. Tune in tomorrow. Um, again, to hear about that greater Idaho thing, I know that always pisses off some of those diehard, you're not taking Oregon away from us. They're not talking about taking Oregon away from you. What they're talking about is getting their damn voice back. That's what they want, their voice. I'm Rick Dancer. Good night. From Montana.